Hello, and welcome to the Slidebean Startups 101 podcast, a podcast about what it's like to start a business. My name is Kaya. I am the CEO at Slidebean and your host for today. Even the mightiest fall, but why? Hello, Moto. Motorola was a pioneer in mobile communications and helped shape entire markets with groundbreaking products. But now it's gone. And yes, we can summarize this episode and say that it was a giant failing to act upon change. But we'd be lying because there's more to the story. It was culture and management that killed Motorola. So this is Company Forensics Motorola. Company origins. In 1928, brothers Joseph and Paul Galvin purchased a bankrupt radio technology company for 750 bucks. Soon after that, Paul decided to make portable radios which could be installed in cars. Since he aimed at cars, he wanted a catchy name. He combined motor with a popular commercial suffix Ola, as in Crayola or Victrola, to create Motorola. These radios and the name were a hit. So the Galvins changed the company name from Galving Manufacturing Corporation to Motorola. But it didn't stop with prehistoric car radios. They also created police receivers, portable FM radios, and TVs. Motorola's AMSRC 536 radio became a cornerstone in military communications and helped allied forces during World War II. Then they came up with the first portable large screen television, the first transceiver to be used in space, the first handheld portable telephone, and the first commercial cellular device. So just a note, historically Motorola has had two main divisions. First, communication services, known as solutions, and then mobile phones, known as mobility. Mobility would launch Motorola to new heights, but it was also the most troubled division. Its history helps shed a light on how flawed culture spread inside Motorola like a virus eventually killing it. Masters of Mobile. Motorola ventured into mobile phones in the 70s and by the 80s it had created Dynatac. Now, let's be clear, to the average user, the Dynatac was a complete mindfuck. A phone that let you talk wherever you wanted whenever you want it. Well, not really. There were some drawbacks. Charging the phone took 10 hours. That's right, 10. You could talk for just 30 minutes on the battery. It weighed close to a kilogram. That's like two pounds. So it could give you literally scoliosis. And then there was the price. Set to today's money, the Dynatac was worth $9,800. But it meant freedom. It was an elite, exclusive, and popular product. So much that people had to sign up on waiting lists. Even with all of these issues, that meant nothing because nobody had seen anything even close to the Dynatac phone before. Continuously, Motorola improved and created newer models like the MicroTac and the StarTac. These had longer batteries, lighter bodies, and were no longer the size of bricks. Some of them even had GSM technology. These were even more popular. So Motorola grew fast, so fast that it built huge factories to meet demand and even came up with the Six Sigma standard in which 99.9966% of products are free of defects. With all of this, during the early 90s, Motorola became the biggest mobile phone seller in the world. But in 1998, Nokia took sole position of the first place. Nokia ducking it out with Motorola. But to explain why this happened, we need to talk about China, the rising market. During the 80s, China slowly opened to international markets and Galvin wanted a piece of this very, very big pie. China meant for Galvin two things, a cheaper production and a larger market. 
After much pressure, the Chinese government agreed to let Motorola install factories there with one condition. Motorola was to educate the manufacturers and suppliers with Western standards and practices. All of this to have a piece of this very big market. But there's nothing wrong with teaching the biggest country in the world how to have an efficient manufacturing, right? Ted Fishman summarizes it brilliantly. Hundreds of Chinese suppliers, including state-owned firms, learned how to make things the Motorola way. Those suppliers which had second and third tier suppliers of their own spread that knowledge throughout a growing swath of China's economy. And this is key because it all comes back. Cultural decisions. So far, it seems that very little went wrong in Motorola, but problems were boiling underneath and they were caused by one thing, company culture. This goes back even to the times of the Dino Tack. Do you remember Motorola's two main divisions? Historically, solutions had decent margins, but a steady market, relying heavily on tenders and public services like police and fire departments. But mobility sold cell phones in an era where having a Dino Tack meant big bucks, and this meant bonuses, big bonuses. Now, rivalries between divisions within a company are normal but in Motorola, profits and bonuses evolved into somewhat of a war and management did very little to change it. In his extensive autopsy of Motorola, journalist Ted Fishman explains, top management believed in letting the sector heads run the business their way. If that rubbed others the wrong way, tough luck. There was no cohesive plan for network technology and handset technology. The two operated completely independently in totally different directions. So as the two divisions weren't seeing eye to eye, there was little communication just when dialogue was key. By the early 90s, Solutions was already advancing in the use of digital communications, but mobility didn't care to make the switch. Numbers were great. 1994 saw $22 billion in revenues and $2 billion in profits. Why worry? But such was the animosity that Solutions engineers started using Qualcomm phones. Qualcomm was mobility's biggest rival. In the background, a mobile company was working hard to go digital. That company's name was Nokia, and it was unstoppable. After becoming number one, in mobile phone sales, it would remain there in one way or another for the next 15 years. So Motorola was desperate and the company brought in another Galvis, Chris, to help. But he ran into chaos. A white elephant from space. People were obsessed with space in the 80s. Communications was no exception and so the Iridium project was born, a network of 77 satellites that would provide coverage where traditional technology couldn't. Motorola thought it was a great idea. It provided the technology to develop the satellites and money. Lots of money. 2.6 billion dollars. And Iridium was big. Even Al Gore supported the idea. He was kind of big in the 90s, if you don't know who he is. But the project took 10 years to launch and when it did, in 1998, guess what happened? It failed miserably. The phones that were used for Iridium each cost $3,000. On top of that, every time you made a call, you had to pay $7 per minute. After a short nine-month lifespan, Iridium filed for bankruptcy. Desperate for anything, Motorola sold Iridium for bits and got back only 1% of the original investment. But Motorola was giant. In 1999, it had 150,000 employees all over the world. So it seemed to be able to take Iridium hit and still stand. Iridium, however, would not be the only hurdle. 9-11 brought business to a halt. The SARS scare shut down markets and in 2001 alone, Motorola lost $4 billion. Desperate for a solution, Galvin fired 56,000 employees and focused on cost cutting, but his efforts weren't enough. In late 2003, he too was let go and months later, the Galvin family ditched the Motorola boat and sold its 3% share for $720 million. The Galvins broke with 80 years of history, but they ended up saving themselves. 
a razor-sharp but short turnaround. Galvin's replacement, Ed Zanter, entered the hornet's nest when he took over for Motorola. There's a legend that he cried on his first day. I would too if I could see into the future. But Sanders saw potential in a sleek, elegant mobile phone called the Razor. After a price adjustment, the Razor became so popular, Motorola began to see a turnaround. It became the number two mobile phone company in the world, and the Razer became one of history's 20 best phones in the world. But the Razer's successor wasn't successful, even if Motorola had faith in it. With the lack of personnel and stagnant innovation, there was very little improvement, other than cameras and more memory. It was still the same phone. Then out of nowhere, instead of creating a brand new phone, Motorola joined forces with Apple. That's right, Xander and Jobs created the Motorola Rocker, which had Motorola's hardware technology and Apple's iTunes installed. The phone wasn't a huge hit, but it's important because of the underlying story. By joining forces, Motorola inadvertently taught Apple how to make phones. And Apple was already good at making software. So while Motorola was obsessed with the Razer, it had aided Apple in creating the iPhone. And you know how that worked. Plus, phones from Korea and China were flooding the market. Remember how Motorola helped China in the 80s? Well, after Galvin insisted on China, Xander pretty much ignored the growing nation. Big mistake. China was embracing 3G, but Motorola was stuck with 2G technology on an old model such as the Razer. So in no time, Korean products like Samsung and Chinese brands like Huawei were offering 3G in cheaper phones. Sander himself recognizes that Motorola didn't have money or personnel to properly shift towards smartphones. Motorola's stock took a plunge, a harsh plunge, and Sander blames himself. The only regret I have is that I should have taken myself out of the CEO job and run the phone division myself he said in an interview with Chicago Magazine. In fact, some experts consider Xander's time in Motorola as the very smart man doing a terrible job. By 2008, he was gone, and Motorola was left with very little in its hands. No real smartphone, Apple had taken its technology and gave nothing in return, and China and Korea were growing exponentially. So they sought investment. The collapse. Carl Eken, a very aggressive investor, sought to gain something, anything, out of Motorola after purchasing 3.6% of the company in 2007. But the outlook wasn't positive at all. The company had gone from 23% market share in mobile phones to 9.4% market share in just a matter of two years. Mobility was bleeding money, but with no real direction. And solutions didn't fare better. Remember that I mentioned 9-11? Well, Motorola's tech had issues during the attacks. Not good. So first responders changed to other companies such as Tyco, Northrop, Grumman, and Lockheed Martin. By 2008, Motorola was desperate, so the board of directors had one goal. Sell something, anything. But selling is difficult when nobody wants your product. This is why Econ pushed to split the two main divisions into two separate companies. It took three years for this to happen, and Mobility went to Google for $12.5 billion. Some say it was too expensive and the products under Google were a failure, like the Motorola tablet. Yes, there was a tablet. But Google wanted something else, the hundreds, if not thousands of patents Motorola had. So after keeping those, Google sold Motorola to Lenovo in 2014. The price was just $2.91 billion. Motorola didn't do well under Lenovo. Yes, they created the new Razer, which is a foldable touchscreen phone, which is also worth $1,500 and people isn't seeming to like it very much. 
Lenovo has admitted to mishandling the Motorola brand. So even after the brand has died, Motorola is still troublesome. So a comeback from the former giant is very difficult, especially in a market as competitive as smartphones today. And while the solutions division is doing well, as it always did, mobility seems to carry too many ghosts of a culture that ended up killing it. A culture that came from within. So the lesson is clear. Times will change and everybody will grow old. You'll go bald, your knees will hurt, you'll get heartburn, and there's that weird noise you make when you sit down. But if you're in tech, none of that matters. You have to remain cool, even if it means staying up late, drinking expensive lattes, wearing man buns with that little hair you have left, going to festivals, and going gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO just because you saw it on a Netflix documentary. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we did. Remember to turn on your notifications for our podcast. You can also follow us on slidebean.com slash podcasts. See you next week.